You know, if you were to if you were to set out to study church history in the traditional way that it's studied, whether you were to do a self-study, buy some books, whether you're doing an online class, maybe you go to a, an institution of higher learning. Either way, you're basically, in all probability, going to learn church history this way. You're going to learn, well, here's early church history, and then here's the Roman church time period from about, you know, Constantine on to, you know, right before the Reformation, and then you're going to learn Reformation, and then you're going to learn uh, the English Puritan movement, and then, of course, the church comes to America with colonialism and, and the colonization and then the United States. And then, of course, you have the denominations that began in the 18th century and began to splinter out. And, you know, how we arrived at where we are today is kind of the story. But what you'd be learning about, and, 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 and interestingly enough, is really not church history. You'd be learning the history of our version of the church, our culture of the church. And you'd actually be not learning so much of church history that we leave out because it's all narrowed and focused on who but us, right? I mean, that's kind of how we, how we learn it. Everything zeroes in on, on us, but there's so much more to be learned. You might have a chapter on the modern missionary movement, um, but that, again, would be a discussion of how missionaries have gone into the world to bring the gospel and wouldn't focus necessarily on what's going on there. However, all of these would fail to study the church from the vantage point of what the church is. Um, we're just studying how we arrived at, at this particular point. Um, on the 3rd of August, 2013, so a couple of days ago and four years, um, I sat at lunch with Yesu Potam and Monica and Benjamin and Bethany, were all there, and I think Steve Brunson, I think, was there that day. Um, and... and we're having lunch. We, the only way we could connect, he wanted to connect, and the only way we could do that would be to meet at the airport as they were flying out of Florida uh, in Tampa. So we, we met up at the airport, had, had known these guys for a number of years. It didn't work out that year for them to be with us here. Um, and uh, so we, we engaged, and, 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 and we're talking. He's telling me about what he's doing in Madagascar uh, and, and the ministry that they were planning to do about three weeks later in Madagascar, and it was very exciting sounding. And I said, man, that just, that's amazing. And as he's talking about it, my heart's just, wow, I'd love to be involved in that. And the irony of that is, is that I've never had any desire to leave the United States to do anything. I mean, it just, you know, it, it all goes back to a bad trip to Cancun where I got sick, okay? So, uh, you know, I just didn't have any desire to, to go eat food elsewhere, okay? And, and food's important to me. So, um, <laughs> anyway, um, so he says, well, how would you, what would you think about coming? I'm thinking, that's, I think, like a day short of three weeks away. And I don't have any money. Um, in case you don't know, I pastor a church. We have things planned, and I have things to do. Um, and, and yet my heart said yes. My heart said the Lord, as if the Lord was stirring my faith. And, and, and long story short, over about two days, the Lord raised twice the amount of money we needed for us to go and to, to be a blessing there. And... We went, and when, that day we sat at lunch. I thought to myself, I knew Yesu Potam. Now, I knew well I didn't know anything about world mission. I was clear on that. Um, but over the next couple of weeks, I, I came to know that I, I knew very little about them, really. I mean, I knew a surface story, but I got to know them in a, in a very real way and to see how they did ministry and what was going on there in, in Madagascar. And uh, as you'll see, they're, they're involved in so many places. Um, 
the church has always been global, um, but, but it's even more global now than it's been ever in its history. Um, now, this man from India is, uh, as it were, returning the favor to Germany for the Reformation because they're bringing the gospel back to a country that, if, if you know anything about the spiritual condition of Germany, it may have been the heart of the Reformation, but it's spiritually dead. The, the, the Muslims are buying up all the old churches and turning them into mosques because nobody's going to the churches by and large. And uh, it's been a very hard place for the gospel. And so you'll hear a little bit about that and what's going on there. Uh, and so he's, he's returning the favor, bringing the gospel back. It's a, he's, he's a missionary. Uh, he, he was born into the untouchable class in, in India. If you know anything about their caste system, that's the lowest one. And, and uh, yet the Lord used, has used him after saving him. Uh, to do mighty works both there and around the world. Um, and I continue to learn from them. So uh, I welcome Yeshua Padma and Monica up here. And as they come, just to say this, my wife and I have spent roughly six weeks with them on the road. They're not in their home. We're not in our home. We're not even in our home countries when we're there. We're both in very uncomfortable surroundings, so to speak, and pressed it's, you know, these 14-hour days where you just go, 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 no stopping, no anything. And you learn a lot about people in those contexts. They're the real deal. I mean, they are the real deal. And so I commend them to you and encourage you to listen in, an opportunity to hear what the Lord's doing through uh, their work in and, and, and various ways. And I trust to uh, help us get a vision of what Christ is doing around the world because this is what, what mission looks like in the future of the world. And just to get a glimpse of it, it it's, it's going to be very reversed in many ways. So we need to, to open our minds to that reality as well. So praise God. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Joey. Ah, good morning. So it's so good to be here, friends, this morning. And uh, so I mentioned it in the first service. Now you have to deal with this Indian thick accent. And uh, so I'm praying that God, the Holy Spirit, will translate every word that we are speaking. After me comes my wife. Canadian. Then a Canadian, eh? <laughs> so you need to get to that too. So here we are this morning, you know, just by the grace of God. And thank you, Jerry and Dana, for your friendship. Thank you for your love. You know, and uh, they came with us to uh, Madagascar. Madagascar is not Gulf Coast. Yeah. <laughs> so Madagascar is Madagascar, the fourth uh, biggest island in the world with 22 million people and uh, sixth poorest country in the world. So we were there three times, right, together, and preaching to the pastors, doing the crusades, went to the prison and shared the gospel in the prison and could able to come up together to build a church inside the prison, the first church ever in the nation of Madagascar inside the prison building a church. God gave us that privilege and honor to do that, and every day people meet there worshiping the Lord, the prisoners worshiping the Lord, the freedom of the Spirit, raising their hands and doing everything they could. 
So by the way, this is my wife. Did I say just my wife? This is my most beautiful lady on the surface of the earth. So, and I have my kids too. Can you stand up for a second? Uh, Benjamin 17, Bethany 18, and the Lord blessed us with. And, uh, so it's, it's, uh, to me, I realize Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship. So we come to keep that relationship going on, and we really believe God has brought us together for the kingdom purposes. And uh, that's why we travel, and uh, there are people called us missionaries, honestly. We are also pastors of a church, and the churches in India, because we travel. Uh, we are called missionaries. Yes, we are on a mission. We are right to be called as a missionaries. We are definitely on a mission to accomplish the mission which Father has given to us. And so that's why we travel. Traveling is not easy. Uh, living on different beds, different homes, different foods. It's good. Jerry knows all the restaurants in Gulf Coast area. Thank you. They give us the best, you know. So we're going to show you some updates, what's happening around the world. Through our life, you know, the Lord took us around 55 plus countries of the different continents uh, during this 41 years of our ministry. And uh, so I will be 65 in uh, how many days, babe? In a week. In a week. week. And uh, so I've been serving the Lord for 41 years, which is the greatest honor and privilege. So so here is my wife. And uh, now, did you get used to my... My Indian English already. You looks like a good student, guys. Then I can preach later, right? Yeah. So here is my wife. Get used to her accent now. I got. I've got. You this got thing. it. <laughs> he said, "Our forty-one years of ministry. I wasn't even born forty-one years ago." So, did you see that little bit <laughs> of difference did. between us? No, not totally yeah. <laughs> true. I am older than forty-one, but. Um, Here's some math for you. We were saved the same year. I was seven. He was 23 and a half. Woo. So only God can bring two people like that together. Did you calculate all those years of difference? Yeah. Not that. <laughs> They're smart. So, but I'm, I'm from Canada. He wanted me to share a bit of my testimony for those who are new here. So I'm a German-Canadian Indian. Uh, I have some Indian blood, too. Um, his Indian blood, because I had a transfusion <laughs> once. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm raised in a German Baptist church, saved when I was seven, baptized at 10, and God put, uh, put it in my heart to be a missionary when I was 12. And then growing up, I always said to the Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And uh, he was faithful to that. And then I went to Bible school, prayed for six years about where God would have me go. I did a lot of short-term missions in that time and trying to find out where God had me. That wasn't, those were not easy six years waiting 
Waiting is never easy, but it's worth the wait. And uh, then I was also praying about my marriage. And for any of you singles out there, uh, it's also not easy waiting in that area, but worth the wait. In those six years, I prayed, God, show me clearly who I should marry. I want to know that I know that I know that's the person. And many times I thought my standard was too high for God. My prayers were too high for God. Could he really do this? And uh, just waiting. And he gave me a, a, a saying, not a Bible verse during that time. He gives his very best to those who leave the choice to him. Did you hear that, guys? <laughs> the very best. <laughs> so, yes. So I kept waiting and suddenly in 96, God put India on my heart. Very strong. And I thought, I don't know anybody. I don't know anywhere to go. I don't have money to go. And a week later, this Indian man came to speak at a church in Canada. I heard him speak, and he gave an invitation, come to India. Come six months or a year, as long as you want. Just get your flight over there. When you're with us, we'll take care of your food and accommodations. So it was all the things I didn't think existed. And... uh, Three months later, God made it so clear I should go there and I should serve there. Flew over to India in 97 January and got off the plane and God spoke to my heart, you're at home. And just gave me peace. I went over to the other side of the country, long two days journey, and got to his ministry. And then for the next three weeks, we are busy traveling, doing crusade meetings every night, village evangelism every day. There was a group of 30 foreigners and... uh, Three weeks down the road, God really burdened my heart to pray for him. It was like I could feel the burden he carried as a leader of the ministry. And I realized, or I found out when I got to India, his first wife passed away with cancer in uh, 94. He had two children. And uh, so I was just burdened to pray for him. Three days praying, and then God spoke to me. He, and I was praying also for a wife for him in those three days. And God spoke to me, he's your husband. And this peace and joy filled me. And I actually, it's like my life made sense, what God had been preparing me for. And I knew then my calling was as his wife and to India. So that's how God led us together. Um, East and West came together. But he needed to know he was my husband, right? So the next day, God... There's a book at the back with all the really juicy details. But... (laughs) but um, God showed me clearly I should just tell him that. So I said, I need to tell you something. Last night God spoke to me and told me you're my husband. She did. (laughs) And after he got over his shock, he started sharing some things about his life and shared how after his first wife passed away, about a year later, other leaders came to him and said, you need to marry again. It's not good to be alone as a leader of a ministry. And he said, no, thank you, and wanted to close the door because he had a lot of pressure. He said, if, he prayed, Lord, if I should marry again, she should be white-skinned, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and come and ask me. So that's how God brought us together and uh, for his purposes. And so 20 years now living in India, um, and not easy when you're from the West, very different, but I think I have... 
definitely it's shown me how great our God is. He's proved it over and over in my life. His grace is sufficient for anything we go through. Um, I'm still there because of the grace of God, because it, there's, it's a, an oppressive country because of idolatry. I never faced, I never felt any of that in Canada. I never faced opposition or blatant attacks of the enemy or opposition. Uh, opposition or persecution or people that want to kill you you know i never faced that before but god's word is powerful and god's truth and god is amazing and he carries us through anything and now um the last three years we have a government that whose goal is to eradicate christianity and islam from india by 2021 that is their goal. And they started the last three years kind of under underground and more like building up Hinduism. But recently, it's really coming against Christianity. So we just ask for your prayers. Um, we watched um, a video yesterday where they're just really agitating the young people to... We saw the video where they're holding up their machetes, agitating them to kill Christians. And, uh, but God spoke to me. His loving kindness endures forever, continues every day. So I know his grace is sufficient. When we go back, sorry, um, we go back in two days. We'll be there Thursday. Since we left four months ago, it's really um, escalated. And uh, so we just ask for your prayers, but we, we know the Lord. The Lord's grace is sufficient for anything he calls us to go through. So I, I'll show some pictures and show what God's doing. Amazing things. In India, uh, we read some of what the, the Hindus are saying. The reason they're coming against Christianity is they're saying Hinduism is at a steep decline. And they said, if, if we don't come against the Christians, Hinduism will be wiped out of India. Well, praise God for that. That means we are doing a great work there, and God is moving mightily. We really believe as Christians, out of 1.2 billion people, one, almost like one-fifth of the whole population, we as Christians believe we have 20 to 25% of that population are Christians. That's an amazing work. Government always says 3%. That's not real. Yeah. That's, not That's real. never changed no. in yeah. 20 mm-hmm. years. So we will show you little updates of what's happening so that you guys know how to pray for us as my wife is taking a sip of water. I want to tell you, there's a book written on my life. And Terry, are you here? I saw her. Yeah, Terry Whitaker. Uh, wrote this book. She came to India three times, and uh, her dad was my best, one of my best friends. He came to India, and uh, uh, she wrote this book. This book is translated into other different languages. And uh, I was telling Terry yesterday, she being sitting in her home here in uh, this part of the world was such a blessing to the many nations around the world. People are so blessed by this book. So continue to pray. This, we don't have many copies. Just few left at the back. We are at the end of our trip. Uh, this is our last Sunday for this uh, trip of this year to the North America. So if you guys want, you can 
feel free to take it and any donation we don't sell it because my life is too expensive for you guys to buy it. <laughs> so we don't sell it, but they feel free. You know, if you want to give it to your friends, to some of the Indians, just take it and uh, that's at your disposal. So we'll show you some pictures and uh, just to give you a little update of what's happening. Go ahead. Okay. So this is our main base in India. We were here two years ago, and I believe just before that we built the, the church on the left side, one of the 13 churches in our city. And uh, we built that debt-free a couple years ago. And then the back buildings, that's our accommodations mainly, our children home accommodations. 150 children live there. Nursing students, we have a nursing school, staff for the ministry, Bible school students, disabled young adults that we train in printing, computers, and tailoring. So a lot of people live there and eat together. We prepare around 2,000 meals a day throughout our ministry in India. And uh, amazing things happening in that base there. Our school is just down the road. I don't have pictures of it, but we have 700 kids going there including our 150 kids. And everything we're doing is just to share the gospel. Another thing the Indian government is trying to do right now is make a law that all of India will have um, a non-conversion law where you cannot convert anybody to another religion. And they're trying to reconvert Christians to Hinduism before that law comes into power because they can't convert anyone either later. So that's the, what's happening next. And this is another church we built, we dedicated in December, and in the city as well. And we have a lot of rich people in our areas. We're trying to attract them to the church. Both churches have two floors for overflow. Believing God for a great harvest in the days to come. Next. Uh, This church, it's one of 30 churches we helped build in November, December, and January in the, mainly the tribal areas. Most of our church plants are in the unreached people groups in the mountains. And we, the church members, put the walls up and we provided the roofs for 30 churches. Next. And this is not one of our churches, but a couple churches in our area were destroyed in the last months. And that's part of the, the persecution. Next. And one of the things we want to use to go into the villages is this truck. When we go back, we're planning to purchase it. It's um, for drilling wells and providing good drinking water in the villages. And the Hindus are now putting signs before the villages that Christians should not enter the villages. So this is a way we can drive through that, past that sign, show the love of Jesus, share the gospel. So please pray for that. I want to add uh, one more sentence to that. Actually, the whole truck and the compressor and all the machine to drill the water, uh, it costs us 80,000 U.S. dollars. And we already have God provided us 25,000. And so we are praying for the rest if we have that. When we go back, we can buy the truck. That will be an amazing opportunity for us. We did a lot of medical camps. We have teams coming from many nations. And everywhere we did one-day medical camp, we come up with a church plant in that village. So this will enable us to go into the villages, supplying not only just good drinking water to the people, but to come up with the church plants in the future. Next. 
And we go village evangelism in April, every April, a big thrust. And this year, in 12 days, we went to 1,051 villages. And some of those, they had the sign, you cannot enter, but we're able to go in. So that is how we do a lot of our church planting. Next. We bought this mountain from the government um, 12 years ago to build the the next project on it. And we've had a lot of opposition to that. Next picture, please. A lot of opposition. But this year, finally, we got permission to go ahead with the building of it. On the top, it's a prayer mount for 24-7 prayer. On the left side, a hospital with minimum 100 beds, so it can be a medical training facility. And then on the right side, staff housing, a home for elderly, and a home for mentally disabled children. Um, so that's a huge need in our society. We're already helping the disabled young adults who have polio, training them, but uh, the children are really um, suffering, and many yeah, just left. The, the families don't want them, so we want to build that. The whole project is one, uh, $4.5 million. And I'll add one more sentence yeah. to that. Last Friday, uh, it was last Friday, right? A week ago Friday. A week ago Friday, we met with the uh, chief of staff of Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's a very good friend of my, one of my best friends in the U.S. And we had a two, three hours meeting with him. We had a lunch with him. We explained him this project. And uh, they were considering, um, he said he will talk to Samaritan Purse. Uh, possibly they may finance us this project. We would definitely appreciate your prayers into that, that they will give us a favorable uh, answer. We gave them all the information that we needed. We never did some, any project so far with so much money. And, but God, nothing big, too big to God. And one of the reasons we want to do that is not just to help medically and uh, uh, I will add here, I, was, I grew up as an untouchable in India with no food for two, three days in a week, even to the point I was left to die on the street with the starvation until a, a Baptist missionary all the way from Canada and uh, came and he saw me in the middle of the road dying. He stopped his jeep, came down to found out I still had life. He carried me in his hands and drove me to a hospital that's why I'm alive today. That missionary is still alive in Nova Scotia. And when I was 16, my mom died because my dad has no money to take her to the hospital. That's where I became angry on myself, angry on everything. And I hated everything around me. I hated my own life. I wanted to take my life off and I tried to commit suicide twice. Then I a communist man came to me and talked to me about communism. And I was so interested in that because they kill the rich people so that they can help the poor people. And uh, I thought that was the only way I can really come up with that. And I joined hands. I signed with my blood. And I went underground, literally saw the blood of many people and the dead bodies in, my, in front of me. So... That was my background until I had an encounter with Jesus, the Savior of the universe. He not only came just to save people, 
I realized that day he was seeking for the people that he could come and save. So I gave my heart to the Lord and uh, because of what is happening in the government today, um, it's very difficult. I went through a lot of physical persecution. I have a broken head, broken bones. I was preaching for, I was stoned for preaching Jesus. I had six stitches on my right forehead. The communist, which I was, I was a part of that before, took, put gun to my head. But God, miraculously, there were several attempts, very close attempts on my life. But besides that, what government is doing is, they are stopping all the funds coming into India. Some of you might have heard about Compassion International. Compassion helps 147,000 children in India. They send every year $45 million into India to help these children. Government shut down this year, March. They stopped their permission to get money into India out of 30,500 organizations in all over India that has a permission to receive funds. 20,000 were canceled in one day. And we thought ours was also going to be canceled. But we waited six months to get the permission. Uh, and then finally, in February, we got a permission from the government extending our permit for five more years, which is an amazing miracle from God. So this is whatever we, we are going to put into this. This is going to be an investment for the future ministry. I don't know when the government is going to close the doors of money coming into India, but this one would help me to make the love and care ministries in India totally self-supportive. When I say love and care ministries, we are not just talking about 13 churches in one city. By God's grace, God helped me. It's still hard to believe, but it's a reality. We planted over 7,000 churches, and I trained 2,000 pastors, and we have branches in many nations. So this would help me to generate funds locally out of four-storied building. The top two floors are for the rich people, the private rooms. And there's a rich people. India is not a totally poor country. There are very poor, very rich people. So we want to cater them so that we can get, charge them money. And the next two floors, that's, that's how the hospital is going to look like. And the next uh, uh, two floors is all for the poor people, but uh, a good medical care. Moms like my mom, that they don't have to die in their hearts, that they will have a privilege of having a medical care. And then the first floor is all the doctor's offices and the lab, x-ray, pharmacy, emergency, everything. That's how just hospital alone is going to look like. So I would really appreciate that your prayers. If Samaritan person would help us with that. They helped many hospitals, many hospitals around the world. They were very positive when we were talking to them. I would appreciate you praying for that. Mm -hmm. Next picture. Next. Okay, this is Germany. We've been going since 2001, 
And in 2009, we, we had been praying, what should we do to reach out to the people? Because we were just speaking in churches every time we went. And then God showed us to go to the poor people. So drug addicts, alcoholics, homeless people hanging out at the Bremen main train station that's in North Germany. And uh, very sad situation. So we went to them first time with 80 hot dogs, told them we're having a picnic, and they're gone in, a, in an hour. And... Not, eight years now, every Saturday at 3 o'clock, we give out 100 hot dogs at the train station and just love on the people there. So many broken lives. Next picture. This is part of our team. So we actually did it one, one Saturday, and then we left the country. And God b- gave us a team, built it up over the years, and they faithfully do that. Volunteers do that every Saturday. Next. And then we prayed for a place to take them off the streets to have a relationship with them. And God provided us this house. We call it Jesus' house. And every Thursday night, seven years now, we are giving them a hot meal, a three, what do you call that? Three steps. Three-course meal. But first we uh, worship, then we share the gospel. At the beginning, they could only sit a few minutes. They were so antsy now, 45 minutes to an hour. We can spend with them first before we eat together, build relationships. Many of them are getting saved now and baptized. In the last year, two years, we've seen such an open heaven over Germany. It's suddenly like a lot of fruit, and God's really moving there. Next. This is enjoying the meal next. Then we prayed for a place outside of the city of Bremen to take them out of the city, off the streets, provide a home for them. And three years ago, August 1st, God, another organization donated us their property. Five acres, five buildings donated in Germany, which is a miracle. Nothing free in Germany, friends. <laughs> Total miracle. So it's so beautiful there. It's like a little taste of heaven on earth in Germany, which is amazing. And... Um, Next picture, one of the buildings is a barn where this year in September, we're going to change it into a church. We have a small room church. We started a church there last November, and uh, it's growing around 40 to 50 people. And uh, we're going to make this into a big worship center. You can put around 500 chairs in there. Next picture. So if any of you want to come help us, any age, come help us uh, work on this barn and make it look as beautiful as your, your church here starting in September. Next. We'll be back there for a month in September, by the way. And we... You have more than a couple of weeks, Jerry, <laughs> to come to Germany. We're giving you four weeks. Yeah, we're giving you four weeks. Yeah. Um, this... Uh, Every two months, we take the people from the streets, we pick them up, bring them out to our place there, and have a service and a barbecue with them, and we want to do that more regularly. Yeah, that's our present church feeling. Mm -hmm. Little room there next. And we had a children's camp a few weeks ago with 38 kids. Last year, we had 12 kids, so there's real growth. Next. Next. This is a beautiful backyard, yeah? Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and this is the house we're building for the people from the street. So as they're getting saved, we want to bring them out of the city where they live there for some time, disciple them, community living, family atmosphere, fresh air, and to work there and then teach them different trades, prepare them to go back into the streets with the gospel. 
Next, we already have two people living with us. One has been with us a year, ex-drug addict, and God's moved so much in her life. And so she knows God is preparing her to help the people that will come live there in the future. Next. And we also bought this house this last year, another uh, amazing story of God's provision. But can we back up one? I have to tell this amazing story. We needed to put the roof on this building we did everything with volunteers, and then we just paid the material. It costs minimum 300000 to build this building, and he wanted to take a bank loan, but then I challenged him a little bit. Long story, but <laughs> I'm just trying to hurry a little. So he decided, as we do everything else, go in faith, not take a bank loan. So God provided all along, and then we needed to put the roof on, and it's all these huge beams, like a lot of them, and you need a crane. So we knew volunteers couldn't do that. We needed 22,000 euros for that and the scaffolding to, to hire a contractor. So we set the date. Take take, we set the date. You, you guys have all day, right? Yeah. Is this, okay, I'll relax. Um, so we set the date, and the contractor was coming, and we had 1,000 euros in the bank. So two weeks before he was to come, we went to a church to share. Originally, that should be 35,000 euros. So I asked him, what if, if two or three people work with you? And he said, I can do it for 18,000. Half price, almost. Almost half the price. That's how it came total to 22,000 for scaffolding on the roof. So we needed 22,000. And we went to this church, went the pastor. We only knew the pastor and this little old lady in that church. He took us to the second row to sit down, and we had not even sat down. And this little old lady came to me and gave me this thick envelope. She said, this is 10,000 euros for you. Somebody gave it to me to give to you. They don't want you to know who they are. So I, I gave it to him. It's like, 10,000 euros. <laughs> I'd never held that much money. And... Uh, and I knew it was cash, not a check, because it was very thick. And then the pastor comes with two long envelopes, pretty thick, gives it to him and said, somebody gave this to me at the door. I don't know who they are. It's for, your, for you. It's like, okay. And then just like that, another two ladies came with two thick envelopes again, gave it to us. And we were like, oh, put it in his bag. And then we, he had to preach, and we were a little bit in shock. Can you imagine that I have to preach after all that? <laughs> <laughs> so it took us till evening to get back home because it was a long drive. Got home, counted it. It was 40,000 euros cash, all 100-euro bills and 50-euro bills. And they were, they were not counterfeit money. <laughs> And we, yeah, so God, that's one of the ways God has provided for us to build this building. Next, and next. And this is Madagascar, and um, I'm sorry, name is not in my mind right now, but Mrs. Williams, right, showed me from two years ago when I shared here that we said in Madagascar we had 560 children that we were ed educating and now we're educating 1,200 children in 12 schools, built, constructed 12 schools in four years. And by October, we'll have 1,800 children that we're educating and feeding lunch to every day. And it's just growing so much, the ministry there. Chorn, Deborah, the Korean missionaries, they're working so hard. It's happening. 
because of God using them there. And all the local people are the workers. They're raising up the local people. Next, this is one of the schools. This is a library they built this year called the Dream Library. Next. And we feed the street people there also every day lunch. Hundreds of them live under the trees, mostly single women and children. Next. We're getting those children also into our schools to be educated. Next. And this is the church we built, I think it's three years ago now. In three months we built that, the the church in the prison that your church helped us build. So thank you so much for your support with that. And the prisoners are meeting their next picture every day. And God's really blessing the work there and providing actually through Koreans from Canada, South Korea, and South Africa. That's how God is providing finances for the work there. And I'm done. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank you. <laughs> we went to the... Did I train her well? Why do men try to take credit for everything our wives does? I don't know. Thank you, ladies. And uh, it's amazing to see what God is doing. That's the first church ever in a prison in the nation. When I went first time, I saw the poverty, the sixth poorest country. I saw the children sleeping under the trees. Children are my heart. And it breaks my heart to see the children suffering. And then the second time when I went, I didn't go alone. I took 22 people with me from U.S., Canada, Australia, from India. And then in four years, building uh, so many churches and uh, 12 schools, and medical centers, and uh, orphan homes, and uh, providing homes for the homeless. We don't. We have all the pictures, but we have no time to show you. Then I went in 2004 to Sierra Leone, uh, which is a uh, West African country, very poor country again. And today, by God's grace, we have 60 churches, 11 schools, and then distributed hundreds and thousands of these eyeglasses with the help of Lions Club in Washington, D.C., through my friend Pitts. And uh, I'll be going there in May. I'll be going there in May next year. You have more months uh, to think and plan. Amazing thing. It changed the destiny of the nation. In a Muslim country, first time, they had a Christian president. And it happened because of the gospel. We did crusades after crusade, pastors' conferences. When I went there, they had a small hut of a church. Today, they have the huge, my, uh, somehow, my wife didn't think about it. We are also thinking about the time. We have now. I met the president of the country uh, when I went in 2010. By then, a Christian man became the president of a Muslim country. You don't hear that always. He is still the president. And it's because of uh, what gospel transforms, not only individual lives, but the lives and the destinies of the nation. Friends, you know, as we share about Indian persecution, uh, I wanted to know, you know, that we are not afraid of our lives at all, but it's hard for me to watch what they are doing. That video really, video really bothered me. Pastor and his wife, were parried on the streets. A lot of people shouting and saying, naked. 
than a young couple. And I know what should have happened to them at the end. It was not in the video. By the end, as they have done before, they might have burned them alive. That bothers me sometimes hard. When I went through that, I was willing, and still willing, to do whatever God wants. You know, nothing is accidental in our lives. And uh, I know someday, you know, we are here to lay down our lives for the gospel. And uh, God will give, uh, give us grace. So the, the theme the Lord gave me for this year, I always pray for a theme. And this year theme is the year of abundance. God spoke to me from uh, uh, Psalm 66, verse 12. And uh, so that was uh, such a blessing. And abundance, when I was meditating on that, four things that I really felt God wanted me to learn out of that. Abundance of his presence, abundance of his power, abundance of his protection, abundance of his provision. So when I was reading 12, uh, verse 12, Psalm 66, I will read it to you. But uh, you let men ride over our heads. We, were, we went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. So I started reading from the beginning. I can't read all the time, but I will read you a few verses from the beginning. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power. Your enemies come clinging to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He's awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. As I was reading that, and then come to the verse 12, and they said, yeah, it's abundance. You took us to the place of abundance. Then as I, medit- as I was thinking and meditating on that, the Lord really brought me, the life of Israelites. And as they were uh, uh, crying out unto God, in the bondage in Egypt, God raised this man, Moses, who cannot even talk, and calls him, set him apart, to lead his people from the bondage of Egypt to the place where he promised them. So it brought my remembrances from chapter 32 and 33 and book of Exodus. And I started meditating on that. When I was reading chapter 33, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was reminding Moses what he should do. 
when I read word depart or leave, leave this place, leave from here, I was thinking there has to be something more to that. He might have said something else before. Sure enough, I started reading chapter 32, verse 34 says, But now, go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Verse 32 deals with a difficult situation. You know, Moses went to the mountain to spend time with the Lord. By the time he came down from the mountain, he heard a big noise, sounds, where his people were staying. In his absence, something uh, sad thing happened. They put pressure as usual. The stiff-necked, disobedient people, as God talked about them, forced Aaron to make an idol for them. He made an idol, golden idol. They all started worshiping. And it broke my heart even this morning again when I was reading that. Aaron tells them, here is the God. He was telling, addressing this idol which they made out of their own gold. Showing that idol, telling them, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt to take you to Canaan. And they started worshipping. And Moses comes down from the presence of the Lord. He watches what was happening. He was so angry, upset. He threw those plates which God gave him, written with his own hands. God wrote them with his own hand. They were broken because his heart was broken. When you are a leader, friend, you have to go through situations like that. I felt I was so blessed to read that. Now I traveled to 55 countries. I ministry in many nations. I understand what a leader goes through on a day-to-day basis in their lives. It's the greatest privilege to be known by God, called by God, and entrusted the work by God to lead his people. When you have a pastor here, when a pastor stands here, I know how they feel. You are not our sheep. You are God's sheep. God hired us by his grace that we would be able to stand here to feed you, not only to feed you, but to protect you also. Providing spiritual food and to protect you from every attack of the enemy is the responsibility of a pastor. The the time they spend with the word, the time they spend with the Lord, the tears they shed at the feet of the Lord, it looks like a honorable position But it carries a lot of responsibility. And we have to think so much of so many people. Whatever they go through. I know when you have a problem, you call your pastor. As if pastor has no problems of his own. 
He's also a sheep like any one of you. We, we got our own problems. But being a leader over many people, it's an extra, I don't call it as a burden, but it's an extra privilege to carry that in the presence of the Lord. And I started putting myself in the place of Moses, what he was going through. And the way God dealt with that, he says, verse 34, chapter 32, it says, but now go, lead the people to the place about what I have spoken. So God might have realized what, what Moses was going through. He was hurt. It was not easy for him. His brother, what his brother did, Aaron, and what his people were doing, they totally left God who brought them out of Egypt, put, gave them manna every day, fresh meat, gave them water from the rock, taken care of them so well all those years. Though it took 40 years instead of 40 days, but God was taking care of them. Here they put an idol in front of them. They says, this is the idol that brought you out of Egypt. Imagine as a leader what Moses, he might have been really depressed. And I felt like God encouraging leaders. God understands what we go through. As an individual for your life, for your families, for a congregations, and for anything that we are leaders of, God understands what we go through. And I want you to hear this from the Lord for you leaders. But now, Moses, whatever was happened, happened. I understand Moses, but I'm still a promise-fulfilling God. Moses, I gave a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I will bless them, I will protect them, I will take care of them. Moses, forget what has happened yesterday. Think of tomorrow. You need to now think about how to go from here. Don't stay where you are. Come out of whatever situation you are in. However, the enemy is trying to come against you with the words of failure, condemnation, Daddies, I understand how many times you feel like you failed. You failed with your children. You failed with your families. You failed your responsible. That's the enemy strategy to come against us, showing our weaknesses. Yes, we are weak people, but our God is strong. The God who gave us that position is able God. And I want to share this with you. One day, um, I think a year ago, Bethany came to me. Bethany came to my bedroom and he, she came to me and said, Dad, she started pouring out her heart. She said, Dad, I feel hurt. Come here, Bethany. There were tears in her eyes. She said, Dad, I feel hurt. I said, what's wrong, Bethany? Dad. You're not spending time with me, Dad. Dad, we need you. Same girl, years ago, I was in South Korea. I wanted to go home. I, was, I have to go home, and uh, the time is up. I wanted to buy something for our grandchildren and for our children also. I asked my grandchildren, 
And they said, we want that, this, and everything. And I asked Bethany, Betha, what do you want? She said, Dad, I don't want anything. I said, Betha, I'm coming. I want to bring you something. And she said, Dad, I want you to come home. Then she wrote me something, which I could never forget. She said, I went to see the doctor. The doctor x-rayed my heart. And he told me that you are in my heart. And he also said, if he removes me from, if he removes you from my heart, I will die. This girl, little girl, taught me a big lesson in my life, what is in my heart. She, she really made me to think, what is more important to me? What is in my heart? And I was thinking, daddies, that I'm doing everything for my children. We travel together. We share lives together. We minister together. But I never realized that I needed to spend more time with my children. Every time I thought we are together. And she comes to me and says, Dad, I feel hurt, Dad. I have no time with you. I want to spend time with you. Think of what, what the enemy would do that to me at that time. It's easy, definitely, to feel failure. That's what the enemy wants us. Yes, we have to realize the situation. Thank God for better for helping me to see that. But we don't go through condemnation. Our daddy helps us in the way that we should walk. And God was helping Moses. Moses, you need to leave this plate. And when he said in verse chapter 33, verse 1, depart, don't stay in the place where you are. You have a, you have a, you have a, you need to go, leave that place. And they started going. God said, I will send an angel ahead of you. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you. And I will drive out of the Canaanites, Amorites, and Hittites, and Perizzites, and Hevites, and Jebutites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But the second part of verse 3 says, But I will not go among you. I will not go up among you. He said the reason. Lest I consume you on the day, on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. When I read that, I did not see God's... Uh, God is looking for a reason to destroy our lives. What I saw that was, I saw that it's not just a God sitting on the throne with a rod in his hand, went to find fault and to destroy, but a loving daddy want to not want to destroy us, but to protect us. He wants to be with his people, but he says, I will not go with you because if I am with you, I see your faults and I may, because I'm a righteous judge, I may judge you. And I felt like that God telling, forget your mistakes. My blood is available. But go further towards the high calling that I have called So, and then going further, I know the watch is running. It's not stopping. I need Joshua. Verse 9. When Moses entered the tent, 
the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the lord would speak with moses and when he, when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent all the people would rise up verse 11 thus said the lord thus the lord used to speak with moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and as i was reading that i felt like literally friends literally i felt like god was looking for me so that he can have a friend god is looking for friends not with angels you want to have friends with a normal human being who live with all our weaknesses our failures such a great god is looking for a friend so that he can f- talk to them face to face what blessed me was moses was never a perfect man we know that but he he god could able to go with moses when moses was going into the tent the pillar used to come down to the point where people could able to acknowledge there's a god's presence with moses they would stand up as a honoring for the god's presence and god would talk to moses face to face like it helped me many people talk to us as leaders means most of the time their problems comparatively people that come to us most of them come with their problems very few come to us and say thank you pastor for doing what you are doing many times as a pastor's friends we would like to hear those people to come to us with the needs but also people would come thank you for what you are doing thank you for your sacrifices respecting god's presence at the god's servants god is looking for friends this morning irrespective of what you are going through respect of the situations you are in god is looking for a friend that he can come and spend with you god said i will send the angel there will be no enemies there will be no stoppage i will take you to the place of abundance i will fulfill my promise i will do everything i need to do but only thing i won't do is i will not come with you i will do this i know moses was trying to talk to god after that i know you i i i know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight now therefore if i have found favor in your sight please show me now your ways that i may know you in order to find favor in your sight consider too that this nation is your people so moses was really you know a friend i was thinking about a friend there's no greater friend jesus said than the friend that laid down his life for his friend when you think about a friend willing to lay down jesus did that not only said you are my friends he laid down god friends is willing to lay down 
for each one of you. Looking for friends, willing to lay down his life. Then uh, Moses was telling, Lord, it doesn't matter whatever it costs. Teach me your way so that I will learn it and make you to please you. So that I will keep your presence with us. And I will read this verse 14. And he said, God said, after Moses talked to God about this. And God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You know what, the, the, the very way I felt at that time, my friend is willing to listen to me to the point that he's willing to change his mind. Is that possible for a human being who is a friend of God can change the mind of God? God said, I will not go with you. The same God says, I will go with you. My presence will go with you. Then I read, I will, I will close it. And the three things I learned there, why Moses was looking, insisting God's presence to go with them. Number one, God himself said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The greatest thing we need in this world is a rest from God. The rest God gives us. In the middle of all this chaos, all the problems, trials, temptations, everything we go through, we need rest. That may be the reason why Jesus said, come unto me, all you of heavy laden, I will give you rest. The rest God gives to our soul is so important. Moses realized that he needed, that the people of God needed God's rest. That's number one. Number two, verse 15. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? The presence of the Lord shows to the people that we are favored by God. God is pleased with us. We as Christians are called to please him. He will give us grace. The only thing we know that separates us from God is the sin in our lives. What pleases God is being close to God. I believe in between, God said, I will not go with you, and then I will go with you. I think Moses might have talked to God, God, we will please you, God. We will not make that mistake again, God. Don't send us, God, without you. Your presence gives us rest. Your presence helps us to know that you are pleased with us. And number three, your presence will help the rest of the world to know that, that you are with us. It's only your presence with us separates us, distinguishes us from the rest of the world. So God, please stay with us. Friends, the God who loves us, the God who we serve, the God who called us, is the God who came to us as an Emmanuel. He always is with us, is for us. Jesus, come up better.
Jesus became our Emmanuel. In the old time, olden days, God used to come and go. But in the New Testament, he is with us. He is with us. He is not against us. Let that the enemy come against you with the words of condemnation every time we fail. God wants to encourage us this morning. He wants us to be his friends. He wants to go with us. He's a promise fulfilling God. He will never fail. He said, I will never leave you, not forsake you. A respect of what we go through is able to help us through. Betha is going to sing this song, and I'm done.
if I was in Moses' place, when God said, I will send the angel ahead of you, I will take you to the promised land, I will provide everything, but I will not go with you. I don't know, I might have said, thank you, Lord. But thank God, Moses didn't say that. Moses thought God's presence with them is more important than what God gives them. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. You are more to us than anything, Lord. Let you be number one priority in our lives, Lord. Let we desire you more than anything in this world because your presence makes the difference. Your presence all we desire. Lord, I pray that you will bless us with your presence, with your power, your protection, and your provision. For you are faithful. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.